ask you to pray yet again with me. Loving God, generous Savior, gentle Spirit, move over us this day as we open our hearts and minds to your word so that the eyes of our heart may be opened to you. Bless us with understanding and with conviction and with power. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're starting a five-week series today uh, that we're calling dunamis. So everybody say that word with me, dunamis. It means power or strength or ability. It's a Greek word. It's the root from which we get our word dynamo, dynamic, dynamite. And it was the word that the ancients used to describe what was happening to the church in the time after the news of the resurrection. We're going to be mostly looking at a couple of chapters in the book of Acts. We're by no means going to exhaust the book of Acts, and we're probably going to need to undertake that book as a study as we go forward from here. But we're going to tease out the notion that the church, God's church in the world, is that body of believers who are filled with dunamis, who are unable to do anything but the will and the work of God because they have so given themselves in faith to the the wonderful news of the resurrection. So we are in this season that the church calls Eastertide, or that we call the Great 50 Days, the days between the news of the resurrection and the celebration of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the apostles. In the middle of that time, there's also a, a day for remembering that Christ was taken up. That's part of the confession of the church. That Jesus came to live among us, the Word made flesh, and that He ate with sinners, He ate with people who were on the margins of life, that He healed, cured, cast out demons, did many marvelous deeds, and He did these deeds by the dunamis, the power of God. And then He was handed over, betrayed, arrested, crucified so vividly described in that book that uh, Pastor Jerry and Julie handed out, that, that crucifixion, so brutal. He was laid in a tomb, and then the tomb was found to be open. The Easter news is so often the place where the church stops its story. Hallelujah, the tomb is open. Eternal life is ready for everybody. What we don't stop to consider often enough is that in the story of Jesus, the resurrection means that yes, he has conquered death, and yes, God has raised him up and vindicated the life of faithfulness that he lived, but it also means he is leaving us. The church in the time after Jesus was raised was a church that had to cope with being God's followers, to being Christ's followers with no Christ there in the midst of them. So it's an essential part of our story 
that Jesus was raised up so that the Spirit could be sent back and poured out upon the church and that the Spirit would give power to the church, the same power that Jesus had. The very same power, the dunamis of God. So that the followers of Jesus, filled with his spirit, could begin to do the things that Jesus did. Not just confess with their lips or say that I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but they could begin to be what Jesus had started out in his own life and ministry. If Jesus ate at with and drank with sinners, then we'll eat and drink with sinners. If Jesus could get differing people around the same table, then we'll work to get differing people around the same table. If Jesus could do signs and wonders and marvelous things, then we will do those things. We will be God's people filled with power and with dunamis. Do you feel like you're feel, filled with power this morning? Do you feel like the church is filled with power this morning? Now, I've been a Methodist for quite a while. And I have watched the Methodist church go 17 times around the barn to figure out what's wrong with us. Because we see our numbers decreasing, and we see our numbers decreasing. And I want to share with you some words from John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, a long time ago when the Methodist movement became a church on this continent. He wrote these words, I do not fear that the people called Methodist should ever cease to exist in the colonies or in the new world, but I have deep fear that they will go on and continue to exist in name only. Having all the form and structure of religion, but lacking all of the power and the zeal and the fervor, which so uh, signified their beginnings in the faith. I wonder sometimes, have we become a people lacking in power? A good friend of mine, one known to many of you uh, because she was your retreat leader on the United Methodist Women's Retreat this year, Faith Conklin, and I hope she shared with you women the story of when she first began to go toward ministry and she, was felt, she felt called by God to enter a program that we had in the Methodist Church at the time called US2 Missionaries. It was a commitment to serve for two years, not abroad, not in a foreign land, but right here in places like Appalachia or other places where there was a need for missionary work. It was a commitment of two years, and she had a young family. She had a husband who was working in aerospace. This was going to be a big commitment. Did she tell you about this? She went through all the training and was having serious doubts whether she could really give herself over to this. And so she sought out a spiritual director in her training who, who asked her, do you believe in Jesus? And she said, yes. And he said, do you believe that Jesus was raised on Easter? And she said, yes. And then the spiritual director said, do you believe that the tomb is empty and that the Holy Spirit is present and that God gives us power to live out the, the things that we're meant to do? And she said, yes. And then he said, why don't you act like it? And so she said yes to being a U.S. 2 missionary. And just a few years later, 
In this annual conference, she was the first woman to be ordained as an elder by our conference. A barrier breaker. And some said a troublemaker. And that brings us into the story that Dan read so beautifully for you. The story of Peter and John in that amazing time right after the news of the resurrection. When Jesus had been raised up, he said, I want you to wait in the city until I send you my power from on high. And when that power was given to the apostles, they immediately began to bear witness to the resurrection of Christ. For this is the job of the church, to bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Historians can tell us about what happened to him on the earth. There's lots of evidence that there was a man named Jesus who was in first century Palestine, that he was probably killed by the Romans. There's a lot of historical and archaeological evidence for this movement. But what you can never find proof for is the resurrection itself. Peter and John were on their way into the temple. They continued to go to worship. They continued to attend the temple for prayers. They were people of God. And as they were walking in, they passed by a place that was ironically known as the Beautiful Gate. That was the name given to it. But it was the place where all of the beggars were brought in and laid down on their mats so that they could beg for alms every day. These beggars had no other way to support their life except to lay there all day long and wait for the people to have pity upon them and throw them a few coins now and again. Have you ever seen a place like that? In Africa, there are a number of places that are designed for people who have infirmities, who have crippling conditions to just lay there, and sometimes they're viewed as a source of income to their whole family. Just put them on display. We used to see things like that in this country, too. Sometimes you see them with the name Ringling Brothers in front of them. The bearded lady, the man with two heads, or whatever else it was. Remarkable things, something to look at, something other, something not me, something different, and I'll throw some money at it. They lay there every day and they were forbidden because of their imperfections from entering the temple of God, but they could get close and they could stand by the, or sit or lie by the beautiful gate and they could watch the beautiful people go by and come out saying, wasn't that an incredible worship service today? But they themselves cannot go in. Beautiful? How do you call that beautiful? to be sentenced to lay there every single day, not see the good stuff inside, not be able to go in and, and worship with the rest of the congregation, and at the end of it, to be given just enough coin to keep you alive to come back one more day and lay there so that others could stare at you and say, there but for the grace of God go I. Thank God I'm not that. Anytime faith or people who call themselves faithful find themselves building themselves up by stepping on the reputation and the personhood of others. We have to call it something other than beautiful. This is really pretty ugly. So here came Peter and John. 
And the man saw them and they made eye contact. A human connection was established. And the man lifted up. He thought maybe Peter and John could help him. Do you have alms for me? Peter stooped down and said to him, I don't have any silver or gold for you today. What I do have, I'll give to you. In the powerful name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he picked him up and John grabbed the other side and they helped this man figure out how to use legs that had never been used before. And they walked him right through the gate and right into the temple. Now this is a man who for 30 years or more had only heard stories. And he was seeing the inside of God's house for the very first time. And he exploded with exuberance and with joy. There's a two acre section of land just inside the entrance to the temple. And he, his shouts were so profound, his laughter was so shrill that he drew a crowd in from everywhere. And so Peter said, you're wondering what's happened. And they said, well, we saw the guy laying on his mat. What's going on? What's he doing in here? Well, he has been healed. How did that happen? And John said, you remember Jesus? Oh, yes, we remember Jesus. You knew Jesus. Yes, we knew Jesus. You saw him crucified. Yeah, we knew about that. You knew that he was killed. Yes, we know about that. Well, we're here to be the witnesses to the part you didn't know. He was raised from the dead. And in the powerful name of Jesus, this man was healed and made whole. It caused a huge stir. And a week from now, we're going to see that that was trouble. Whenever the Spirit cuts across our land doing its work, whenever the Spirit mobilizes the church to do God's work, there's a little bit of chafing along the way. Wherever the light of God goes, shadows cast long in front of them. We just celebrated or remembered or commemorated the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King this weekend, this past week. From the Birmingham jail cell, sitting there in prison, having been arrested for trying to bring attention to the cause of African-American people in this country, he was sent a letter by a coalition of ministers and said, your efforts to uh, achieve your results are troublesome and they're not very helpful. And we, th we, we think maybe you ought to tone it down a bit and we'll back it off just a little bit. Among the things that he wrote in reply in the column of an old newspaper and on some scratch pads and finally on a, on a legal pad that his lawyer brought him, he said this word, any injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are inescapably bound in a network of mutuality. We are woven together into a single cloth of shared destiny. 
Dr. King had gotten a hold of a vision. Whenever I look upon him or on his writing, I remember that he never, he never preached disruption. He never sought conflict. He never set out to stir trouble. What he did was he shared the vision of a kingdom where you can't lay a man down at, on a mat at a gate somewhere and say, he's different from me. He's the same as me. He deserves everything that I deserve. He deserves every basic human right to be afforded to him. And, and he deserves these things so much so that I will work for these things with all my heart and with all my life. I will work for these things because I've been shown a vision of God's kingdom that is powerful and beautiful and explosive. So that when, when we speak of healing and wholeness in the body of Christ, we're not just speaking of my healing and wholeness. There can be, John Wesley said, no personal holiness apart from social holiness. We are so deeply interconnected. That's why this communion becomes the symbol. And more than that, becomes the presence of Christ to all of us. Because we have to be like him. Now these people are so different from me, how can I sit down at the table with them? These people are so strange and so other. These people are so weird to me. How can we possibly get us all around the table? They speak different languages. They practice different lifestyles. They do everything different from me. How can we get around this table? We can get around this table because that's what Jesus did. And if Jesus did it, then we have to do it. And we do it in the power of Jesus. Did you hear what Peter said to the crowd? We didn't do this by our own strength. We didn't do this by our own power. We did this by the power of God, the powerful name of Jesus. Now, I guess I would say one more thing this morning. So long I have lived as a child of the baby boom. And my parents, like a lot of parents in that day, said, I don't want to have my child baptized. I want them to grow up and make that decision for themselves. You ever, I think everybody should choose for themselves. If you come across that attitude, I just want to say to you, what if we did that with our children's citizenship in this country? Yeah, I know, land of the free, home of the brave, greatest opportunity they're going to have on the face of the earth. But I want my kids to choose for themselves. So I'm renouncing their citizenship today. And when they grow up, they can decide if they want to live here and try to get a green card and try to get in. It doesn't make sense at all, does it? But I was a child of that time. When we all wanted to get along and we all wanted to live and let live and we all wanted to say, well, every road gets to the same place in the end and I'll let everybody choose for themselves. And, you know, this got into the Methodist church too. It did. Peter goes out of his way to link the work he is doing to the name of Jesus. And I've listened to adult after adult after adult in 30 years of ministry saying, well, I try to live a good life. 
but I don't want to talk to anybody about religion. I just try to be good. I try to show people by my example. And if I lived my life that way, then people who wanted to follow me would learn how to be a good Bill Johnson. And that would be terrible for everybody. But if we're going to be witnesses to the resurrection of Christ, then the church has got to get over it and start linking the name of Jesus to the work that we do every single time. If people don't know that the reason they have a sack lunch to eat every day is because Jesus of Nazareth has commanded the church to do his work in the world, then we are failing in our work as witnesses to the gospel of Christ. And we have got to make this important. We have got to. There's no other reason for church to exist than to share the message of the gospel with the world. In our actions, yes, and God will empower that, but we have to take the time to stand there as the people show up to see what all the commotion is about, and we've got to take the time to say, this is because of Jesus. There's no other reason. We're not magicians. We're not clever politicians. We're not that good. This is all, all for Christ. Is that making sense? We've lost our witness, friends. Seven times around the barn we've gone looking for reasons why the church just isn't catching on. Is it our music? Is it our liturgy? Is it our lifestyle? Is it the language we're using? No. It's that we have forgotten to be a people who are filled with power, and we've forgotten to share the name of Jesus. That's why we talk about Christ so much in this place, so that the world will know that the tomb is empty, that Christ has been raised, and there is power for living in the world. Let me finish with this. A few years ago, somebody came to my office whose nephew had been killed tragically in an automobile accident. They had two little children. And this person was sobbing and saying, I don't know how my nephew is going get, to get by. I don't know how it's going to happen. And I tell you, I'm fed up with God. We have prayed and prayed for three days while he was in a coma that he would live, and he didn't. And I'm just fed up with God. And as we talked, I began to realize that this person didn't really understand what healing was about. They had gotten the word healing confused with curing. And Jesus did both in his life, and so has the church. When nothing but cure will release somebody from a stumbling block to faith. When they need to see a cure, then Jesus gave them a cure. But there are so many other ways that God heals in our world. And so we struggled in that season to find a view of the kingdom that was bigger than our own personal interests and our own personal needs. And it was a struggle. 
And I was called on to the next church before I could help that person finish that struggle. And you know what, that's all right, because it wasn't my struggle alone. It was their struggle. It's their life. And they're the ones living the sermon. But friends, we need to see that this man on the mat, if he was simply saying, well, let God cure me and then I'll be on my way, that would have been a tragedy for everyone. But he was not cured from an illness. He was raised into the kingdom. And this is what we are meant to be doing for the world, to raise people into the kingdom. I, I beg your forgiveness for being a little long-winded today. But the power of God has been unleashed upon the world. And those who see it and know it will know it explosively at times, comfortably at times. They will know it as a sustaining power, as a power that gives ability to achieve remarkable things, and as a power to shed light upon the greatest miracle the human being can know, the power of the resurrection of Jesus. In God's power, in his dunamis, let us be witnesses to the gospel in this and every generation. Amen.